Welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Sadin is not English for punch me or headlock me in a scrum. Sunny ways, my friends. Sunny ways. I'm not your friend at all. I'm a mirror for your narcissism. My name is Evan, and you're listening to Block E. Welcome to episode number two of the Block E Podcast. I'm happy that you tuned in for today's episode because it's going to be a koozie. <laughs> On the show for today, there's going to be music from James Dean, Jules, and Pat Locke. But first up, we are heading to Northern Alberta. This is Luna from Edmonton's own Sorcery. And you're dialed in to the Block E Podcast. B-L-O-C-K. Giving you the building blocks. You're listening to the Block E Podcast. <laughs>
Just watching that video makes me want to go back to Los Angeles with Hollywood. That was Pat Locke, and you're listening to the Block E podcast. Up next is a Canadian short named Jukebox. Please don't demonetize me. And on this Canadian short, there's songs from Fade and Jules. Enjoy.
You know what's really, really awesome? Hitting the subscribe button. Not only does it help me out, but it also goes a long way to help out the local music scene around Vancouver, as well as across Canada. And it also goes a long way to help the individuals that I pick out for my interviews as well. Lucky, the podcast. It's why music nourishes the soul, why it's the highest form of art, at least in my opinion. So you have to live your life as if being is a symphony and you're playing, you're playing your instrumental part.
Memphis, man. Luxury. I see you looking thirsty, come and drink from me. Yeah. Ferrari fitness with the body so thickness. Ferrari fitness with the body so thickness. Ferrari fitness with the body so thickness. The last song that you just heard was UBCO Prodigy, Baby No Money with his song Ferrari Fitness with Futon. And then that goofy cartoon that you just watched, that song was from a gentleman named Memphis who's based in Toronto with End of the World. And then before that, Block E's food video of the week was from Vancouver's own James Dean with his song, An Unwritten, what is it? I have to read this off. An Unwritten Love Letter to Summer Roberts. And coming up is my interview with undercover investigative journalist and activist, Jeff Ragier. Now, Jeff might not be a well-known name to many of you, but Jeff was recently in the news this past June. You might recognize some of his videos. With the help from Mercy for Animals, Jeff went undercover to document the absolute atrocities which are happening 
inside of our farms. There may be some uncomfortable video scenes in this next interview, so here is your trigger warning. Trigger warning! And here's my interview with Jeff Ragier. You're, You're listening, listening to the Blocky Podcast. My name's Jeff, and uh, I am very passionate about animal rights. Uh, I used to be involved in human rights issues, um, but my focus is uh, much more on farmed animal rights now because when you compare any cause that you could put your time, energy, and efforts into, and if your goal is to create a world with less suffering, you have to go, you have to work on animal rights because in terms of the intensity of suffering that particularly farm animals endure and the quantity of suffering, nothing compares. And of all the causes, uh, animal rights is just so accessible to someone like myself, really anyone in the developed world. Um, and the impact you can have is so much greater than, um, than any other cause I'm aware of. So, uh, so yeah, that's why I focus on animal rights. I grew up on a small family farm, a hobby farm, and I loved animals. Uh, like, and all kids love animals. I think I loved them a little bit more. Um, and I, I remember telling my dad when I, when I was a kid, that we could cram even more cows and pigs and sheep into the pens we had in the barns. And I thought that would be just the best thing ever. And I lived across the street from the greater Vancouver Zoo. And so when I was old enough, when I was 12, I started volunteering there and eventually working there. And I loved it. I got to hang out with animals all the time. What I didn't realize then, but what's obvious now is that my love for animals was it was about me. It was, it was very childlike and immature. It was about how they made me feel when I was around them rather than uh, my love, rather than my love being about what might be best for them, taking their concerns into consideration. And so when I was 24, I went vegetarian because I thought like a lot of people do, well, what's the harm in drinking dairy products or consuming eggs because you're not killing the animal not realizing that, well, actually, you are killing the animal, um, but you're just essentially torturing them uh, in various ways before you send them to the slaughterhouse. And then when I was 27, I watched the documentary Earthlings and, uh, and went vegan immediately. And it was really easy because uh, just the motivation uh, after watching Earthlings and uh, thinking about what the animals endure in slaughterhouses. I grew up on a farm, but I'd never been inside a slaughterhouse before. I'd never seen inside a slaughterhouse before. I had only seen, um, I would say, an idyllic uh, farm, like the one I grew up on, which, by the way, still is not free of animal cruelty. Like, still, like, you're separating mothers from their babies and they grieve just like uh, humans do and castrating animals with no painkillers, tail docking, um, lots of unpleasant uh, experiences that animals endure on even the least cruel farm scenarios. But um, conventional and modern farming and slaughterhouse practice take it to a whole new level. So after watching Earthlings and getting a glimpse into uh, the food system where uh, 
my food was coming from from grocery stores and restaurants uh, I went vegan immediately because like I didn't want I did not want to participate in that well originally I I didn't want to go undercover and originally I, I was doing like public outreach and various forms of uh, that that type of activism um, but it was at a uh, animal advocacy camp event where the director of investigations for Mercy for Animals was a guest speaker and she suggested to me that uh, I should do undercover investigations and I said no I'm too sensitive uh, I'm not the right guy for the job somebody else can do it but um, she, um, she explained how the impact that you can have in terms of reducing suffering in the world uh, is just so much greater and there understandably there aren't very many people who uh, will do that work it's obviously not a fun job um, but the way she phrased it um, telling me like the impact I would have on it would be millions of animals that are spared the nightmare that is modern farming and uh, in the slaughterhouse um, and so originally I said no but I let the idea bounce around in my head and um, after a few weeks I got more and more comfortable with it and then eventually reached out to Mercy for Animals and um, yeah and became an undercover investigator. The first one I did was uh, it was at Canada's largest dairy, so Chilliwack Cattle Sales in Chilliwack, BC. And then I worked at um, Canada's largest chicken slaughterhouse, Maple Lodge Farms in Ontario. Um, then I worked for a chicken catching crew in BC. And then the last one was Canada's largest egg farm, uh, Grey Ridge Eggs in Ontario as well it's exactly what you would imagine it to be. You just apply for any job that's, um, that's available. Like you'll see, just see a job ad and you just apply for it and, um, send your resume or whatever in and, uh, and interview just like you would for any job. A lot of them are immigrant workers who don't have, uh, the same, job prospects that um, someone, a native Canadian would have. Um, obviously they're not, they're not particularly desirable jobs. And so um, like I, I wasn't the only, um, only non-immigrant working there, but uh, definitely there's a high percentage of immigrant workers working in these places. Some of the jobs paid, um, a couple extra bucks uh, above minimum wage, but I mean everything was was in and around that range. Probably the dairy, um, the first one, the dairy farm. It was, it was the first place, uh, the first one I did. So I, the level of, I was I wasn't as desensitized yet, but also, um, I think, I think humans in general, and my and I'm no exception. Um, I empathize more with mammals than I do with birds. I think like it's more difficult to see a cow um, suffering than a say a chicken. 
Uh, and that's, I, I'd say that's a speciesist, um, and I, perhaps evolutionary, but it's um, a speciesist hiccup of mine. Uh, I empathize more with a mammal or any, any being that's more closely related to me. But, I mean, simul well, simultaneously, I understand that in their capacity to feel pain and to suffer, there really is no difference between a cow, a pig, or a chicken, or even a fish. Um, it's, I think it's just an evolutionary uh, hiccup. But for that reason, uh, the, the dairy stands out more, and it was more difficult to watch than, um, than say, working on a chicken farm. Every time uh, these investigations break, the public is shocked. Um, there, it's difficult to to communicate with the public, and because you're compete, you're competing with um, a multi-billion-dollar industry, and so uh, the companies and the industries that are selling these products um, spend a lot of money to control the public perception of farms and slaughterhouses. The massive flood of cash and jobs have made the meat lobby one of the most influential legislative groups in Washington. In 2014, they spent more than $4 million lobbying Congress. By comparison, gun control advocates spent less than half that amount. And so when they see an unfiltered uh, glimpse behind the closed doors of modern farms and slaughterhouses, they're, they're shocked. Um, and so, yeah, so when every time an investigation broke, yeah, the public were shocked and outraged at um, when they see the suffering that these, that's inflicted on these animals. Every investigation that has broken has gotten a lot of media coverage. That one was here in BC, so perhaps locally that gets a lot more pickup than an investigation that breaks on the other side of the country. Um, but that, I mean, that was brutal. Uh, like, like chickens getting their legs ripped off. Um, that, I mean, that's just the general one. And even if say that wasn't the case, just the standard treatment of animals, it's shocking. It's, um, yeah, and um, so I don't think, I think that got a lot of media attention, but I think it was probably on a similar level to um, previous investigations. I'm very optimistic about, uh, about the future. I believe that in the developed world within 20 or 30 years, there won't be slaughterhouses anymore. I think the growth of the movement is exponential. Uh, so yeah, the, our numbers are, are growing, the percentage of vegans in society is growing, but also the rate of growth is also increasing. And the reason I think it's increasing is the more people that go vegan, the more it's normalizing compassion and veganism the more people that go vegan, uh, the more public pressure there is to go vegan because it's, I mean, it's such an obvious case of, um, it's such an obvious wrong to unnecessarily inflict suffering on a completely innocent being, all for the sake of our own indulgence. Additionally, um, the more people that go vegan, the easier it becomes to go vegan because more and more companies are offering vegan products and more options are becoming available in restaurants. Um, 
also like more and more professional athletes are just smashing the protein myth and um, excelling in their in their respective sports and um, medical nutritional information is um, is spreading and I mean, there's there's a reason why vegans and vegetarians statistically live longer and have lower rates of disease, uh, and so that that kind of information is vitiating society as well. And all of these uh, all of these pod, positive feedback loops are just pushing uh, the animal rights agenda forward. Um, never mind the um, global warming and like climate climate crisis, the environment, uh, I mean, and there's, I mean, there's other, other, like, there's so many good reasons to adopt a vegan diet, whether it's your health, the environment, uh, world hunger, um, never mind the ethical animal rights argument. And so, like, the best way um, you calculate uh, the growth of a movement is to measure the doubling time of the percentage of people. And I've heard that it's about five years for the percentage of vegans in society to double. And now, for me, since I've been vegan, I, I've seen a lot of changes. But uh, like when, when veganism, say, say half a percent of society is vegan, when that doubles, you don't really see a big change. Um, but like right now in, I think, uh, in North America, Canada and the U S, um, vegans and vegetarians are about four to 6% of society. So if you were to be conservative and say, well, let's say 3%, uh, if, and if the doubling time is five years, five years from now will be 6%, uh, 10 years from now will be 12%, 15 years from now will be 24%, uh, 20 years from now will be... 48% and so on and so forth and 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 I mean other, there's other developments like the um, proliferation of lab meat when that becomes much more economically viable and I mean and then you also look at um, the demographics of veganism it's the youngest generations that have the highest percentage of vegans um, like I think 12% of Millennials are vegan or vegetarian the least vegan demographic is the oldest demographic and not surprisingly the oldest people are going to die first and um, the youngest people presumably will be around the longest and I mean that, that's just the trend even if, and if you look at um, at things like other social justice movements whether like like the gay pride parade in the 70s the first gay pride parade it was like I don't know six dudes walking down the street, everybody hated them. Uh, they would throw rocks and bottles at them. Now, um, the Gay Pride Parade is, as far as I can tell, the, the biggest parade and the most globally, global parade on, on the planet. Businesses, instead of uh, not wanting to be associated and then people throwing rocks and bottles at these guys, businesses pay a lot of money to have their float in the gay pride parade because they want to be associated with that. They want to be on the right side of history. And you look at, like, just in Vancouver, the uh, animal rights marches, they've been, um, I think, more than doubling every year. 
like this. Um, two years ago, there was about 150 people who showed up for the Animal Rights March. This last year, uh, it was closer to 400. Uh, and in other countries that are, I would say, are more progressive on the animal rights front than Canada, like in Israel, um, they had over 30,000 people show up to their animal rights parade. That's the biggest animal rights march in history. And I, I have no doubt that every year they're going to keep breaking that record for the biggest animal rights march. Um, because this movement is, it's snowballing. It's, it's unstoppable. Like I'm going to keep working for animal on animal rights issues as much as I can. But even if I, um, I gave up, I couldn't stop it. Animal rights is coming and it's, it's unstoppable. I have different projects that, um, that I'm involved in. Um, so I want to, like, I do uh, lots of chalking. If you've, maybe you've seen around town uh, the phrase chalked. Uh, the film Earthlings Changed My Life. I've been chalking that around town. And um, I've actually come across people who, like at other animal rights events, where uh, I'll start talking to them about veganism. And they'll say, yeah, actually, I've been vegan for two weeks now. And I'll say, dude, that's awesome. What made you go vegan? And they'll say, I saw somebody chalked um, the phrase, the film where things changed my life. And so I went home, watched it with my wife. We both went vegan. Then we had our kids watch it. They all went vegan. Um, and I have to think that I'm only going to come in contact with a small percentage of the people who are affected by that. I have, I have to think, like, what are the odds that I would um, meet the majority of people who, uh, who are affected by that? So, ch so chalking, that's one of my favorite forms of activism. It's, it's easy. Um, and uh, I think using that particular phrase is really effective. Um, because it allows people to uh, watch a documentary in the privacy of their own home, not feeling judged by, um, by an activist, someone like myself, explaining it to them, telling them why I think they should be making different dietary choices. So there's that. Uh, in Vancouver, we do a lot of Earthlings Experience events and Cube of Truth events, which are... Um, where we screen modern farm slaughterhouse footage in public spaces to spread awareness about um, the suffering animals endure. Um, so I'll, like soon I'll be getting a, an outdoor TV and um, that'll be a full-time, I'll be doing that full-time. I used to do it uh, full-time, um, but the TV I was using is not, was just a standard indoor TV and not weatherproof and didn't really work that well in direct sunlight because it's not designed for that. But this outdoor TV that um, I should be getting soon uh, is designed to be to work in direct sunlight. It's much brighter and weatherproof, so I won't be limited by by the outdoors. I'd say the most comprehensive documentary on uh, our food choices and the environment would be Cowspiracy. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a great film, and if you want to learn more about uh, the health arguments, I would watch. What the Health, or uh, Forks Over Knives. Um, I, know, I know there's a new film coming out uh, next year, which looks like it's going to be something kind of like Earthlings called Dominion. It's, I believe it's based out of, it's either Australia or the UK. Uh, I anticipate that being a really good film. In terms of farm animals, I, like, I love cows and pigs. Uh, I, 
Um, but what would I love to see in the wild? Um, a blue whale. They're the biggest, biggest animal to have ever existed on the planet, and um, and they're still alive today. It's uh, they're incredible. And that's all that she called for for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Blocky Podcast. Remember to please subscribe to my YouTube page or Twitch page if you are watching this. And if you're listening, please subscribe to my SoundCloud. And I will see you next week. You're listening to the Blocky Podcast.